Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here. Uh, And if this is your first time, I especially want to welcome you. I'm super glad you've chosen to join us uh, this way. Before we jump into the message today, and we're going to start a new series, I want to make two announcements. First of all, beginning in two weeks, so when we get to March, there won't be any Zoom platform for Sunday worship gatherings. So the Sunday evening Zoom gathering and the Sunday morning Zoom gathering won't happen anymore. But all the content will still be available. It'll still be available on our website website and through our YouTube channel. So you'll still be able to get the gathering, but we found that the transmission of the, the video is better on the YouTube uh, channel and, and, and our website, that things sort of get bound up as you... Uh, come through Zoom. And I know some of you have switched to just watching on YouTube or just watching on the website, just so that the video would stream better. So beginning in March, we're not going to do Zoom gatherings. We're going to do them. You you can still have your gathering in your house. You just watch the video on our website or on YouTube. Uh, And and they'll be available by 1030 on Sunday morning uh, every week. The second thing I want to announce is that March 7th, we are going to do a trial run of, of those uh, who are comfortable from our various homes. And if you're comfortable gathering in person. Now, here's the deal. Two things. First of all, it's not going to be a, a, a big production. It's going to be just like what we do at our house on Sunday mornings. So the, the video of the message will be played. I'll probably be there leading worship on a guitar or, or you know, maybe somebody else will. Uh, it'll be very unplugged. We're going to intentionally spread out. Masks will be required. We'll scan foreheads, uh, sanitizer, all that stuff will be available. uh, And we're going to maintain distance. But we're going to try, if you're comfortable gathering, it's it's essentially like our home gatherings, except for let's put whatever homes are comfortable getting together. March 7th. Here's where we're going to do that, though. Mark this down. We're going to meet in the basement space of the Salvation Army on 6th Avenue. So I'll give you more information next week. You can reach out to me if you're, if you're you know, unclear about where that is, but I'll give more information next week. But March 7th, we're going to try to gather one time uh, socially distanced at the Salvation Army. Cool? So no Zoom anymore beginning in March, and uh, we're going to try a gathering in person March 7th at 1030. So more information to come. With that, I want to go ahead and begin our series. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, We're beginning this new series today for Lent that I'm calling Have Mercy on Us. Now, I grew up in a Lutheran church, and some of you probably know that. And there's this thing that happens in the Lutheran church that I didn't really understand as a kid. But as I've gotten older, it's had new meaning for me. There's a section in the liturgy. It happens early on in every service in the Lutheran church called Confession and Absolution. Confession and absolution. And basically what it is, is early on in the service, there's a space provided in the service for confession of sin. Now, we're not, gonna, we're not talking about everybody stands up and says their sin out loud to everybody else. That's not what happens. 
but it's an intentional time where, where there's a quiet space where we bring from our hearts before the Lord the places of sin in our lives, the places that we've fallen short of who God has called us to be. And then the pastor leads everyone in the congregation through this, uh, this reading, and I'll, I'll read it to you. And everybody reads this after they've given their sinfulness to the Lord. Here's what, the, here's what it says. It says, We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Now, when I was a kid, I thought this was really just, it was early on in the service so that everybody knew how sinful they were. I just always felt all this guilt, but now I get what's happening. There's power in this practice. There's real power in being completely honest about who you are before the Lord. Because here's the thing, in that section of the service, confession was always followed by absolution or forgiveness. So everyone confessed before the Lord all their sins, all the ways that they had fallen short. And then right after that, the grace of God was pronounced, that forgiveness was pronounced for sin. There's not a time in the service where it's just confession. It's always confession followed by grace. There's so much power in that. Uh, it's especially powerful to be honest about who you are as you approach significant events. Like if you have, are someone who has given your life to Jesus and you're going to be baptized, there's, there's a significance and a power in being honest before the Lord with your brokenness. That God might forgive you that you would receive baptism in a new way. It's also powerful to be completely honest before the Lord as we approach Easter, those of us who, who are aware, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It's the, the day in the church calendar that begins the season called Lent. And Lent is a season to prepare for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Every year we get this season that has been practiced since the early days of the church where we again Open ourselves to the Lord that we might be prepared to receive Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday afresh. That we engage in practice. And it's an intentional season of being honest before the Lord. And opening ourselves to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you, would you search my heart? That we would be like David in Psalm 139 when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the uh, way everlasting. That we would be people who are open before the Lord that he might call out of us the things that are wrong, the things that are off, the things that are not right. And so in Lent, typically what you would do is you would abstain from some practice so that you could engage in a practice that would draw near to the Lord. So, for example, you might abstain from lunch every day. And during that lunch time, you might pray that you might connect in a deeper way before the Lord. And the posture is one that, that God would reveal to us our sinful ways. That we might agree with what he finds and repent. 
or, 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 change, or turn intentionally to surrender and follow him in obedience. That's the season of Lent, that we would take an intentional spring cleaning time of our person that God might meet us in that space, that when we get to Good Friday and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we might experience the forgiveness and the power of Resurrection Sunday anew. Every year, that's what we do in Lent. Lent is a season of repentance. That's what we're after in Lent. So today we're beginning this new series that I'm calling Have Mercy on Us. And we're going to talk today about repentance and a message that I'm calling Renew Us. Out of that, out of that line from my childhood in, in the Lutheran Church, Renew Us. So today I'm, I'm going to talk about repentance in this message. Would you pray with me before we open God's word? So Lord, we do just invite you into this time and into this space, God, that you would search us. And God, this season of Lent, we open our hearts, Lord, that you would show us the ways, Lord, that we fall short of who you've called us to be. The places, Lord, that we miss the mark. God, I pray that you would give us an unusual openness to your searching. God, would you give us a posture of surrender? Lord, as I speak about repentance, I pray that you would keep senses of condemnation and shame at bay. And God, I pray that you would bring your healing, that you would bring your refreshing. God, that you would bring your forgiveness. Renew us, Lord. God, I pray that you would give me your words and enable me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you have a Bible, we're going to look today at Micah chapter 6. Micah, it's a very short book in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6. You can go ahead and turn there. If you're not sure exactly where that is, can I just uh, tell you, you should probably look at the table of contents. If you thumb through it, you're probably going to blow right past it if you're not sure where it is. Micah chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and give you some context. Micah is one of the Old Testament prophets of God. So, God call, sent, sent prophets to his people, the, the nation of Israel, to call them to repentance. The nation of Israel had wandered away from the, the life God had called them to live. They weren't faithful to God's call to demonstrate his perfect rule and reign in the world. They lived with a misplaced confidence that said, in essence, no matter what we do, we are God's people, so he'll back us up. They believed that it didn't really matter necessarily how they lived or how they conducted themselves in the world, that God would just always back up their act. And so their way of living began to look less and less like the kingdom of God and more and more like the pagan nations around them. So God sends prophets to speak to Israel on his behalf to call them to repentance. And this is a, a perfect place for us to talk about repentance. So what I want to start is, what were the things that stirred God's anger? Why is it that God felt the need to send prophets to speak on his behalf? What are the things that God was calling out? As you read the words of the prophets, there's generally two major issues that the prophets are dealing with. Number one is that the, the nation of Israel was worshiping gods other than Yahweh. So the first issue that the prophets call out is idolatry. 
The second issue is that the nation of Israel was engaged in rampant injustice toward their fellow Israelites. They didn't treat their, their uh, neighbors justly. So, so idolatry and injustice were the primary issues. Micah is just one of the prophets, but over and over and over, the prophets are calling the nation of Israel to repent from idolatry and injustice. And you can sit and read the prophets in the Old Testament over and over and over. This is the theme that they're called from idolatry and injustice. Interestingly enough, when you flip to the New Testament and you get to Jesus and, and one of the, the, the uh, teachers of the law says, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? You know, we want to we follow the law. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says this in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, keep away from uh, idolatry. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's not that Jesus doesn't think personal holiness doesn't matter. Both of these things have an individual sinful aspect. But essentially, Jesus was saying, if you get these two things right, if you don't bow the knee to idols, and if you treat people with justice, all the rest of it will work itself out. This is the same thing that God is calling through the prophets, the nation of Israel. Listen, if you're always concerned about loving the Lord your God with all that you are, and then loving your neighbor the way that you love yourself, you will follow Jesus well. Essentially, you can say that if you will do these two things, you will, you will walk more in line with Jesus. Any place in your life that you struggle with sin ultimately boils down to a failure of one of these two things, either idolatry, not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or injustice, not loving your neighbor as yourself. The major thrust of God's issue with the nation of Israel was a corporate disregard for who God had called them to be, a nation that belonged to Yahweh. And as a result of that belonging to Yahweh, a nation that demonstrated to the world what God's rule and reign was like. So some of the prophets that God sends to the nation of Israel call the nation to turn from worship of pagan gods, and others call the nation to justice. Micah is one who calls uh, the nation to justice. And so just before we, we look at the scripture, though, to clarify, when I say justice, what I mean is God's justice. We're talking about the way things work when God's rule and reign is perfectly executed. I'm talking about what it would be like if a society was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about justice. It's what life would be like if we did these things. We refer to this as the kingdom of God. So when Micah calls the nation of Israel to repentance, he's calling them back to justice, God's justice. Let me give you a couple of examples of the things that Micah calls out. Uh, uh, Micah 2, he, uh, he says, at morning's light, they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields 
and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. And essentially, the powerful take from the powerless. Or later on, verse 8, Lately, uh, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care. Like men returning from battle, you drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. The powerful treat the powerless without care and respect. Chapter 3, verse 1, should you not embrace justice? He's talking to the leaders. You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Powerful treating the powerless without care and respect. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. The prophets prophesy based on who's paying them. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. That people only do the things of God for those who pay them. Basically, the whole call of Micah is that the people of God have behaved unjustly as they relate to one another. That's the problem that God has is injustice. So with that, I want to turn to chapter 6. It's set up a little bit like a, a court case. If you've got your Bible handy, this is uh, Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. So God is setting this up as, as, as a court case, and he is the prosecuting attorney. Here's what we read. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Lift, listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also... Aaron and Miriam, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And if we stop right there, God basically says, have you forgotten how I saved you? Like the way you're behaving makes me think that you have forgotten who you are. All the issues that I've already highlighted, the way the powerful mistreat the powerless, the way the leaders only do stuff for who, people who can pay, for the, pay them, leads me to believe you've forgotten who you are, a people who have been saved by God for God. Isn't this always how we end up in sin? Like if you take a look at your life, isn't it always, if you boil it all down, the way that we end up in sin and we, the way we end up flirting with idolatry is always because we've forgotten who we are. Isn't that the case? Isn't it always the call of God to remember who we are? The invitation to repentance is always an invitation to snap out of it and to remember who we are. That's how this works. It's always a call to identity. 
Every time we find ourselves in sin or on the edge of idolatry, what is always true is that we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we are a people that have been saved by God. One of the warning lights on the dashboard for me that I'm forgetting who I am is that I find myself worrying what other people think of me. What is it for you? Are you aware of the the warning lights on the dashboard of your life that say, I have forgotten who I am? Do you have those things? You know, maybe you find yourself shopping more. You do some retail therapy. Or, or maybe you find yourself looking lustfully at somebody. Or you find yourself envious of other people's things. What's the warning light on the dashboard of your life that says, I have forgotten who I am? Do you know what it is? If you don't know, can I offer you a couple of pastoral recommendations? First of all, when you become aware of sinfulness and idolatry in your life, sit with the Lord. Sit with the Lord in a quiet place and ask him how you got there. That's a prayer that the Lord will answer. Lord, how is it that I got to this place where I'm so far from you? It's a prayer that he'll answer. He loves to answer. Lord, how is it that I've found myself Worshiping something before you. How is it that I have found my identity in who other people think that I am? The Lord will speak. It's a prayer that he loves to answer. And if you do this practice regularly, God will show you the grooved out areas in your life that you naturally fall into a rut. That's practice number one. Sit with the Lord. Practice number two, or the second thing that I would recommend is that you engage in emotionally focused. This is the new name for faith walking. And if you haven't heard me talk about faith walking, where have you been? I feel like I talk about it all the time. Uh, Emotionally focused is a process of becoming more and more aware of your own emotions and how you react to them and allowing God to transform how you show up in the world. This will give you a better awareness. This is my commercial, okay? This, we, we, we interrupt these, this, this message for these messages. Uh, this will give you a better awareness of the things that drive you into sinfulness and idolatry. The first course is now, called, it used to be called 101. It's called Foundations. The next Foundations course, it's all online. The next Foundations course is March 12th and 13th. It's only 50 bucks. You can register by going to our website. There's a drop-down header that it says get connected. And at the bottom, it says register for events. Listen, if you're married or you're in a serious relationship, do this together. If you're not married, you're not dating anyone, that's fine. Do it by yourself either way. But if you're in a relationship, this will change the way that you relate to one another. I'll personally attest to the power it's had in my life uh, and and of, of revealing to me the ways that I, that I tend to forget who I am in Christ and, and the ways that I tend to go off course. Now, let's get back to the message, okay? Uh, beginning in verse 6, the people respond to God's accusation with a desire to repent. They actually want to do what God is saying. And so they, they desire to turn to, to right relationship with God. And this is what I want to focus on as we begin this series, this, this repentance aspect. 
Here's what they say. Beginning in verse 6, it says, this is the, the, the nation of Israel speaking. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Listen, in the desire to repent, Israel basically says, God, what, what kind of payment would get you off our backs? What's enough for our sins? How much payment would we have to pay for you to leave us alone? What would you accept to forgive us? You know, should we, you know, do more sacrifices and burnt offerings? Yeah, we know Leviticus, that whole thing. Should we do more of that? Should we pour out more oil? Like, what, what would you be happy with? Maybe we should sacrifice our children. Would that make you happy? The question they're asking is, God, how can we pay you off? What will it take for you to get off our back? This is the way they respond. Have you ever done something like this? God, what would it take for you to just leave me alone a little bit? Have you, are, are you honest enough with yourself to admit that this has maybe been a way that you've done repentance before? Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. Like, you know, you, you're praying this prayer. God, I know I've sinned against you, so what I'm going to offer you is more Bible reading. Will that get you off my back? I'll, I'll, for my, in order to, to pay for my sinfulness, I'll offer you more Bible reading. Or, God, you know, I messed up big this time. So here's what I'm going to give to try to pay you off. I'm going to attend church more regularly. I'm going to start going to church more regularly. Or, God, you know, I had that affair. And I know you're not very happy about that. So I'm going to try to pay you off by writing a really big check to the church. Listen, I'm not opposed to you writing big checks to the church, but here's the deal. Don't do it thinking you can pay God off. Have you ever done any of those things? Have you ever made a deal with God? God, just get off my back and I'll do this for you. Have you done that? The question boils down to when God calls you to repentance, what does he want? What does God want when he calls you to repentance in this season as, of Lent as we're going to intentionally open ourselves to the Lord that he might put his finger on places where we fall short? What does he want from you? What is it that he's calling you to? What does repentance look like? Here's God's response. Verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What do you want, God? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In response to the people asking how they can appease him for failing to love him first and for failing to treat their fellow Israelites with justice, God says, what I really want is for you to be the people I called you to be. That's what I really want. I don't want all your big sacrifices, your big offerings. I don't want you to pour out more oil. I want you to be the people that I called you to be. I want you to humble yourselves before me. And I want you to act justly and love mercy when it comes to dealing with other people. That's what I want. Listen, in this season of Lent, as we're going to open ourselves before the Lord, to be examined, and, and we're going to invite God to put his finger on the things that keep us from him. 
He's going to invite us into something. And what he doesn't want, our response is not some grandiose action that will prove to God how holy we are and how great we are and how righteous we are. He also doesn't want us to to put into some uh, condemnation-fueled self-loathing that will show God just how shameful and how guilty we are. When God shows us the ways that we fall short of being who we're called to be, as we press in this season, when he shows us, he invites us to something different. God calls us to repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad or saying you're sorry. Those things might happen when you're aware that you've fallen short of what God has called you to. Repentance is an intentional about face. It literally means to turn around, to think again. When God puts his finger on the areas of our lives that don't measure up, he's calling us to intentionally turn around and surrender those things to him to intentionally take steps to bring those areas of our lives into alignment with who he calls us to be. God calls us to repentance. There's nothing like it. The Israelites were called to humility before God and intentional actions of justice and mercy. Holiness then looks like humility before God and intentional actions of justice and mercy to those around us. That we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and that we would love our neighbors ourselves. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.